The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. Uh, good morning. My name is Victoria. I'm a volunteer here at Grace City. And today we're going to be reading from John 5, verses 1 through 18. Um, so if you have a Bible or a Bible app, now's a good time to get that um, out. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool, an Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I'm going, another steps before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. They asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a large crowd in the place. After Jesus followed him, found him in the temple and said to him, see you are well, sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. So this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, my father is working until now and I am working. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much for this time you give us to be together on Sundays. Um, Thank you for stories like this that show the power of Jesus and how he can transform lives so easily. And um, Lord, I pray today an anointing on Randall that he might Give us a a great message that really speaks into our hearts, into the places that you know best, that we may feel your presence and um, grow closer to you with this message. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Thank you, Victoria. Uh, This morning, if you got your Bibles, again, we're going to be in John chapter 5, verses 1 through 18. And we're continuing in this series called Faith and Work. And particularly today, we're going to be talking about ethics and work. And so last week, we started this series and we talked about a theology of work, right? We live in a world right now that instead of starting with God, we start with me. We start with ourselves. We say, well, let me start with what I think about this. But what we see in Scripture and what God points us to is saying, start with me. And so when we talk about work, we're talking about God's created order and the way he's made things. Right, and so God has given us all work to do, and we can make a difference in this world. We can do things that matter. And so the question is, as we're going through this series, faith and work is this. What does it look like for us to be a Christian in everyday life? A majority of our lives are spent not just here in this room or or worshiping, listening to uh, some worship songs or anything like that, but as Christians, where is most of our time spent? Working. Most of your hours, most of my hours are spent doing things outside of this room. And so does God equip us for that in everyday life? Yes. See, it's where our faith and our work intersect. See, God can use you in all those different aspects of life. And so what does that look like when you approach life, when you approach your work, when you make important decisions about life? Where does God fit into that? Um, This is a great quote which was shared uh, with me by Amanda uh, Pavich, and and I want to share this one today. It's from The Pastor, uh, written by Eugene Peterson. And I think this will help frame what we're going to talk about today and even when we're talking about work. And here's what it says. Most of what Jesus said and did took place in a secular workplace. So secular, outside, in the world, everyday life. Work doesn't take us away from God. It continues the work of God. God comes into view in the first page of the scriptures as a worker. 
Once we identify God in the workplace working, it isn't long before we find ourselves in our workplaces working in the name of God. See, Jesus didn't just come as a philosopher or a great leader, ruler. Jesus came as a carpenter. He came very simply working. And so how does that affect our lives? You see, for us, our mission as a church is to equip you with the gospel, with the good news. The good news that God is with you. The good news that God is for you for everyday life. Right? The work that God has done. How does that affect us every day? The gospel. And so as we talked about earlier, uh, there was a blog that started this past week and we're going to continue that. And so we encourage you, read those on Monday mornings. We're going to post those every week because, again, we want to equip you for the Monday morning being the church. Um, Last week, we talked about this, but there, during, during the, the Reformation, um, there, there were some things that were lost and then rediscovered. One of those, again, was our faith in Jesus, right? Like, we are saved by Jesus' work for us. So that's the gospel, right? We, are, we receive God's work on, you know, like what he's done for us, and we receive that into our lives. But the, another part of the, the Reformation was that uh, the, the workplace and, and how we look at work was... was different than, than the way that it had been looked at for a long time. And so there was a man named Martin Luther, and, and one of the things that he talked about, he saw that the way that the monks would go about their lives. And so the monks would separate themselves, and they'd do very religious things. They would say, well, we're doing the work of God. And what they thought was that they were earning God's favor by doing all these spiritual activities. And he looked at that, and he says, God doesn't need your work. Right? Let, let's think about this for a minute. When we're talking about faith, when we're talking about work, like at the end of the day, the God of the universe does not need my work or your work, right? Like he can keep the world revolving and it's going to keep going apart from our work. But the thing that Luther said was our neighbor does. God doesn't need our work, but our neighbor does. And so he said, like, how are, like, we as you know, Christians, like when he looked at the monks and he said, they're striving, doing all of this work, all of these religious things apart from everybody else in isolation. He says, what is that doing for your neighbor? What difference is that doing in your neighbor's life? Right, and when we're talking about ethics today, we're talking about the difference that we make as Christians in the world. The, the belief system that we have that affects every day life who are you helping is the question that luther asked and the question that we need to ask today because as we look at this text that's what we see in the life of jesus see we can either see our work as our job a necessary evil for life oh this is the 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 grind this is this is not really making a big difference except for me getting a paycheck and just living in this world right or we can look at it as our God, and we say, well, my work is going to solve all of my problems, and I'm going to be able to solve everything through my work, and so that's where I'm going to put all my time, energy, because that's my security, that's my safe place, or we can say it's our calling. It's our calling. God has given all of us a calling in life. God has made us all uniquely and said, I I have this for you to do to make a difference in the world, part of God's intended design, ethics, and work. The term ethics uh, derives from the ancient Greek word ethikos, which was derived from ethos. And so what this means is it is habit or custom, right? So what is the habit or custom of how you do your work? What is it that sets you apart as a Christian? See, today what we know is that we live in a world right now that if we were to, to go around and ask everyone their different belief on ethics, we'd come up with something different. Somebody would say, well, uh, this is what I believe, and another person would say, this is what I believe. Because right now, we live in a world that says, uh, what's right for you is right for you, and what's right for me is right for me. And so it, it becomes a very jumbled mess when we start to talk about ethics. But in the workplace, uh, we all know that there is some standard of ethics, right? Right? I mean, that's why we have an HR department. And so there are people that are asking questions, specific questions, to see if 
you believe, okay, is it right to steal or not from the company? Is, it, is this person of good character, of good standing? Like, there are all those types of questions. So at some level, we would have to say we all, even if we're not believers or Christians today, would have to say, yeah, we believe in some, there's some level of standards or morality that, that there needs to be uh, in the workplace. And um, I was watching recently a TED Talk um, on ethics, specifically by a guy named Damon Horowitz. And here's what Horowitz argued. He argued that we need a moral operating system. We need a moral operating system. He says, um, I'm here to ask, what's the right thing to do? We have a responsibility that is proportional to our power, he says. And so he says, the answer is that we demand the exercise of thinking from every sane person. So that's really how he left the talk. He says, well, okay, we, we, need, we definitely need a moral basis. We need some type of moral operating system. And so we need everybody that's sane to think. That was it. That was his answer for the moral operating system was like, okay, but who, who's going to say who's sane and not sane, right? What are you going to come up with? What's the answer? He talked about Plato. He says, well, uh, Plato talked about what if there was a pure form of justice? If there was some type of, of justice that was out there. He said, because Plato wanted to solve the role of ethics in his society. Right? So we've got all of these great thinkers throughout history. If you look back, that would say, here's what an ethical basis is. But what we find is that at the center of all of those is man coming up with some form of ethics. But in Christianity, what we find is that God gives us what he believes and what he designed as his form of ethics. See, is God-centered, not man-centered. And so as Christians, or even if you're not a Christian today, just I want to invite you into this just to think about this for a minute. What is the question that should shape our ethics? Micah 6, 8 tells us this. What does the Lord require of you? What does the Lord require of you? If you were to think about that just from a, for, for a moment, like what, what, does, what does God require of you? Because starting with that question, it will start to form our ethics. Micah's response was this, to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. He says to do justice. And so when you are in a position of authority to help the weak, to help those who are wronged, to help those who are hurting. Love kindness. Right, do good, not of obligation, not because I have to, but there's a deep love and genuine care for people out of a spirit of generosity, grace, and loyalty. Walk humbly. When he says walk humbly with your God, he's saying bring your life into conformity with God's will. See, what you're gonna find in the world and the workplace is that there are moments where it's gonna be gray areas. I don't really know exactly what to do in this situation. This is a hard one to figure out. Because as we talked about, it's not gonna be like, oh, well, here's a verse for that particular thing that you're going through. Am I supposed to let this person go? Or am I supposed to keep them? I don't know. Am I, am I supposed to do this business deal? Or am I not supposed to do this business deal? Right. There, there are things that are just in this gray area where you're like, okay, I, I don't know what to do. And so what do we do in those moments? We ask for God's will. We, we, we ask God and say, God, what, what do you want us to do? Because here's the thing, at, at the, the bare bones, the, the, the very bottom, like this is what this is about. This isn't about following a rule book. This is about a relationship. 
a relationship with God. He wants us to come to him. He wants us to seek him. He wants us to say, hey, I need your help in understanding this. And so when we're talking about ethics today, it's, it's found in a relationship with the God of the universe, that he offers it to us freely. See, we, we see Jesus live this out perfectly in today's text. And so John uh, 5, 1 through 18, we're going we're gonna to go through this. And just to give you a little background on what's happening here, um, you, you'll see at the, the end of the verse, there, there are these religious leaders, the Pharisees. And they're walking around, and, and, and really what, what they had was man-made ethics. Here's what we believe is right. Here's what we believe is wrong. We're going to tell you what's right and wrong. And then you have Jesus who lived in a God-centered universe based on a God-centered ethics. See, two different forms of ethics going on here, battling one another in this verse. See, what the Pharisees believed was um, very much in contrast to what Jesus taught. Jesus taught that there were two commands, to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Pharisees, on the other hand, they had developed a system of 613 laws, 365 negative commands and 248 positive laws. By the time Christ came, it had produced a heartless, cold, arrogant righteousness, their form of ethics. You do this, you don't do this. And I just want to say this as a side note. We can do that as Christians. We can do that very easily. We can start to make this about rules. And it wasn't meant to be about rules. And the way that it comes across is very heartless, cold, rigid, hurtful. And so if you're coming in today and you've had bad experiences with the church I just want to say sorry because that's not what we see in here, and that's not the way of Christ. The way of Christ is love, grace. It's a different path. And so what do you see, what, what, what do you and I see from Jesus when it comes to ethics and work? Um, there are three things that we'll find from this passage today. Jesus works for, I'm going to give you all three up front if you're taking notes, the dignity of all, the common good, the will of God. The dignity of all, the common good, the will of God. And so the first one, the the dignity of all. So as we're we're going through this verse, what you'll see in in, uh, verse three is this. It says, uh, in these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. Um, What we find is that As people and the religious leaders of the day would walk by, they knew about this group of invalids that would stay at the pool of Bethesda. And they were there and they would just pass them by on a daily basis. But Jesus, as he walked by, uh, saw this one particular man, and, and what we talked about last week is that he, he did a couple things. He saw the man, and he knew, and so he had saw it, but he did some research on this particular guy, found out he'd been there th- for 38 years, found out that this man in particular um, had be- gotten there because of um, a particular sin in his life. And so as we uncovered this, what we're going to find is, is that Jesus intentionally chose this man out of all of the, the lame people that were there that day. Um, commentator D.A. Carson says this. He says, it is possible John is telling us that the reason Jesus chose this invalid out of all the others who were waiting for the waters to be stirred was precisely because his illness and his alone was tied to a specific sin. Now in the scriptures... Um, we're going to find this in uh, John chapter 9. This is, a, this is a, a comparison. You're going to see a difference between the two. So there was a man born from uh, birth, paralyzed. This man was not born from birth, paralyzed. Uh, 
there was something that he did in his life that caused him to be paralyzed in this particular state. And uh, this would be probably, if you were to think about it, somebody who would say, well, well why would Jesus pick this guy? He, he did it to himself. He's the one who caused the sin in his life that helped him to get to this place where he's at. He's been there for 38 years, and so, of course, he deserves it, right? But what Jesus shows us is that there's a dignity to all of life because this man was a valuable creation of God. It's the imago Dei, the image of God. All people, every person that you lock eyes with was created in the image of God. Right? Not separate from that, but the image of God. There's this big crisis going on right now uh, a little bit north of us in San Francisco. Um, there's a gentrification that's happened where people are, um, you know, they're being pushed out of the city because of all of the tech and everything, the industry that's rising in San Francisco right now. Prices are skyrocketing. But what we're finding is that there's uh, more homeless that are in San Francisco by the day. And there have been a couple of uh, tech gurus recently who've blogged about that particular thing, and they, they have called the homeless the vermin of the earth, and um, they've torn them down in and, and, and a lot of different ways. Now, when you're picturing this particular man, that's, that's what I want you to, to picture. I want you to picture somebody who society would tear down. Society would say, there's no value to this man. But yet Jesus comes to him and sees this man who would very much so be very unlovely and broken and comes to him and says, you have value. The dignity of all, not just some, all people, creation of God. See, we must see that uh, spiritually, if you were to see yourself and I were to see myself, we are very unlovely, broken people, right? If we were to see ourselves, we would say, man, I, I don't really know if I could love that person. See, like I said last week, we are the lame man. Many times we want to paint ourselves in, in this story as Jesus coming up to the lame man and, and helping the lame man, right? But for us, what we find today is that we are the lame and that Jesus comes to us. And so I, I just want to speak into this today that if you have walked in here and, and you feel very much like, how could God love me? You're in the right place. Right? You're, you're in a place where there is a Jesus who, who loves you despite your brokenness, despite your pain. And that, that Jesus is pursuing you. He's been looking for you. He didn't come and just say, well, I'm sorry, you've got to figure it out on your own. And you will see uh, Jesus all through the Gospels doing this. He's touching the lame. He's healing the sick. He's healing the lepers. The lepers were the people who would have to walk through the city and announce that they were coming so that other people could run from them. And Jesus would walk up to them and touch them and heal them. See, Jesus' view of people is that they are all made in his image. And what we see with this guy is that he's made in God's image, as broken as he was. And again, when it comes to our work, every person that you lock eyes with at your workplace is made in the image of God. And so as much as they don't like you or you might not like them, they need Jesus. And they need the love of Jesus. Right? And our, and our work is not just some abstract thing that we're doing out in the world so we can go do ministry. That is your ministry. You are right there in the middle of it right now. The dignity of all. The second point is the common good. And so we're going to see this is in verses uh, 6 through 9. 
Okay, so the common good. This is, this is a phrase I want to use um, because I, I'm going to explain it here, but it's very practical. Um, so Jesus comes up to this man, and um, in verse 6 he says, When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already uh, been there a long time, he asked him a question. Do you want to be healed? Do you want to be healed? Sick man answered him. He explained to him, Here, here's how I think I'm supposed to be healed. There's supposed to be this stirring that happens in the water, and then I'm supposed to get in. But what we find, this guy does not even have a friend to get him into the water at the right time. He has nobody. And so the common good is this, that Jesus offers this man something he needed. He needed healing. Sometimes what we do is we, we try to give people things that they don't particularly think that they need at that, that moment, right? We try to offer something to them and say, well, hey, you really need Jesus, but we don't do anything to help them move. We don't do anything to help them out at work. We don't give them a ride when they need a ride. But you really need Jesus. But they're not at that moment yet. And so what we see here is that Jesus comes up to this man and gives him something very practical. He says, I, I want to help heal you. I want to heal you. I want you, you you're going to explain, you're going to tell me this story about how you've been trying to be healed for so long. I'm going to come in and I'm going to answer the call on that. As Christians, many times we don't think through the implications of how our work can bring good for others. What you do matters. You can make a difference in someone else's life. See, there are two things that we see in in Scripture. The first one is that God gives common grace. Common grace. This is what common grace is. Um, Matthew 5, uh, 45 says this. God makes uh, his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. And so what, what that means is that, that God gives grace to everyone. All of creation experiences his common grace. Not because we've deserved it or earned it or Christians. It's not like some, you know, only the Christians are the ones who are the ones who have the sun rise for them and then the, you know, and the rain comes for them. No. It's common. It's all. God gives common grace. He loves all of his creation. But the second thing is that God calls us to do the common good. God calls Christians, you and me, if you're a Christian today, to do common good, like good things. So 1 Corinthians 12, 7 tells us this, like he has gifted you and me particularly to bring the common good for others, whether they're Christians or not, right? Just any person that comes and, you, and crosses your path. And so we have common good decisions to make. Um, Andy Crouch says this, this is about common good decisions. He says, This is times when Christians make choices, some small and relatively easy, say volunteering in a neighborhood school, other major and costly, say moving into a tough school district to seek the good of their neighbors. So that God calls you, so the common good is coming in and saying, you know what, God, I'm going to ask you, God, what do you want me to do? You've given me particular gifts, and so I can come in and do good for people all around me. I can do good for my neighbor. I can make a difference right where I'm at. See, God has given you particular gifts that help you in this. In talking about the common good, uh, one writer says, a Christian must think out how his or her faith will distinctly shape their work. We must think this out. And so... I would encourage you, think out how do you bring the common good in in the things that you do on a daily basis? How can you do that? This past week, I was uh, uh, getting my oil changed at the Valvoline in Claremont. And uh, I'll I'll tell you about this place all day because particularly they, just the experience that I've had there. Okay, so uh, I drove up and turn on my lights, all this stuff, and uh, the guy sees that one of my headlights is out. He says, hey, um, go to this particular place, buy, buy this light bulb, it's really cheap there, and if you need help, I'll, I'll install it for you, free of charge. Now, 
I'm just like, wow, okay, like that, that particular thing, like very easy thing to do, practical thing that met a need in my life, right? But just him offering that. It wasn't like, okay, if you come back, then you got to pay me this, and then I'll do this service for you. But he said, I will, I'll help you out in this way. Get very simple thing, practical thing that, that met a need in my life. And so, again, I don't know if this guy's a Christian or not. But Adam stuck out to me as somebody who's doing common good work. Common good work. And what we see is Jesus doing is coming in and doing common good work for this man who needs healing. And the third point, and the last one, which is the most important, is this. The will of God. The will of God. So look, verse 17. But Jesus answered them, my father is working until now and I am working. See, we, we, we could go through this text for the next month and we can get so many different things from this. We could sit in this and just really camp out in this, but, but what Jesus is saying is this. He's saying, I'm here for the will of God. My life is here for the will of God. I see my father working until now and I am working Pharisees were not happy about this. Uh, Leon Morris says this about Jesus um, in this verse. He says, Jesus persistently maintained that it is lawful on the Sabbath to do good. He ignored the mass of scribal regulations and thus inevitably came into conflict with the authorities. Jesus did God's will where he was at. Okay, and so for you and me, like, what does that look like for our work? To do God's will. To ask God, say, as you see the Father working, do you see that God calls you into his work in that particular day? See, why did this happen? Why did this happen? This, this conflict where Jesus has to say this, my Father is working until now and I am working. Well, the religious leaders saw the man carrying the mat. And it's just so interesting because you think about this. Jesus heals this man who's been, the mat's been carrying him for so long. And now Jesus says, pick up your mat and go. And so now he's able to carry his mat. Right? This thing that had been carrying him for so long. It's just interesting. But he tells him, he sends him out. And the Pharisees get a hold of this guy and they say, who told you to do this? Who said it? Right? And, and this man, he's like, I don't know who it was. And again, different commentators take it differently, but, but one thing that they're in agreement with is this guy threw Jesus under the bus. This guy, he told on Jesus. Because once he got a hold of that, it was Jesus who, who, who healed him, he went straight to the authorities and told on him. He went straight to the authority and said, hey, yeah, I found out who it is. It's Jesus who did it. And, and so the, the authorities, the, the Pharisees came over and started to make trouble in Jesus' life. And Jesus said, that happened because I was doing the will of God. See, there, there, was, there was some real dysfunction in the way they thought. They thought on the Sabbath, and we're going to talk about that in a couple of weeks. We're going to talk about rest and work, but they thought you, you weren't even supposed to do good on it. You weren't supposed to do anything. Their rules, their regulations bound them up so much that they, they couldn't even love another person. And Jesus is like, that's wrong. That's not what the Sabbath is. But we find that as Jesus did this hard thing of, of, of facing the authorities and going against what they said, that he was brought into conflict. There might be moments where you come into conflict because of your work, because you've done the, the thing that God told you to do and it didn't sit right with others. You did the hard thing that no one else was willing to do because they didn't want to get in trouble for it. But when we're talking about God's ethics compared to man's ethics, we go off of a different system. 
See, and Jesus modeled that for us and shows us that today. That even though you are called to do some hard things, you are going to take some hits along the way. You might even get thrown under the bus like Jesus did. But you have to follow what God says in God's will. See, Jesus saying this echoes Micah 6.8. To walk humbly with your God. Many of us ask, well, what's, what's God's will for my life? To do good work through the power of God wherever he's placed you. Wherever he's placed you. There's this phrase that uh, we say at Grace City, and it's being open for business. It's being open for business. And so what that means is that you, wherever you're at, wherever God's placed you, saying, okay, you're asking the question, God, what's your will for my life today? What do you want me to do today? See, that's what this is about, being in the will of God to walk humbly with your God and say, God, conform my will to your will. Because we all have a will. We all do what we really want to do. We decide to do what we choose to do. But it's coming under conformity and saying, God, what is your will for my life? I want to know what you have. And so really quickly, some takeaways. How do we apply ethics to our work as believers? First one is this, do good, no strings attached. Do good, no strings attached. We live in a world right now that it's all about, why are you doing that? If you do good, like, okay, what do I owe you? What does it look like to do good with no strings attached to someone else? I remember uh, one time there was a, there was a guy, Mike, and a, he, he didn't know Christ, and, and I remember we were just, uh, went out to lunch one day, and he met me up, and, and we were having lunch together, and I was like, hey, man, I want to buy your lunch today, and he looked at me. He, he just stiffened up. He says, you can't do that. I said, well, well, why? He's like, no, really, like, you cannot buy my lunch. I was like, well, I'm going to buy it anyway, <laughs> and, uh, and so I bought his lunch, and he said, uh, He's like, you don't understand. No one has ever done that for me. No one's ever done that for me. He's like, I've had friends, people that have called friends. Every time they say, you owe me. Here's what you owe me. And they would make a list of how much he owed them. But just being in a place to receive and say, whoa, they're, they're, you're going to do good and you don't want something from me? See, that's what we see from Jesus. Because here's the thing. What did Jesus want from this man? What could Jesus have gotten out of this man? Nothing. He loved this man who would throw him under the bus later with no strings attached. That's a different ethics than what the world would say. See, doing good is giving all human beings their due as God's creation. This means going out of our way to defend rights and wrongs in this world. Good works are rooted in God's goodness. Do you know we serve a good God? A God who is in his very nature good? There is no evil in him. We can trust him. And so out of the rooted character nature of God being good, you can do good with no strings attached as you see your father working. See, a biblical view of the good news of Jesus leads to a passion for doing good in the world. When you know that Jesus came, not because we earned it, but purely out of grace to come and save us from our sins, as we are like the lame man in our spiritual state, unable to move, unable to do anything, we are dead, right? We, we can't offer anything. As you see God loving you in that way, coming into your life, You'll, you'll just be overwhelmed by his goodness to say, wow, how can I share this with others? See, it's not forced, like, oh, go do good. It's receiving his goodness and going out and sharing it with the rest of the world. 
the church must embrace a holistic understanding of doing good. And it, is start, it starts with the gospel. Good news. And again, just a, another side note. When people hear that you're a Christian, they might make fun of you, but they should want to work with you or hire you, whether they believe what you believe or not. Because they know that you have a form of ethics that sees all people with dignity and that is willing to do the common good with no strings attached. Just a side note. This should affect every part of our life. The second point is lean into mercy. God's kind, this is God's kindness towards us, right? Like mercy. God has had so much mercy on us. And, and so lean into that and show that to others. An ethical life grows out of a loving heart, not out of a judgmental heart. And so we live in a world right now where we're so worried of, like, are we being taken advantage of? Right? Like, is this person taking advantage of me? Here's the thing. Do good and let God sort it out. That's what it looks like to lean into mercy. Mercy doesn't mean that you're a doormat. It means that you trust God to sort it all out. Okay, and so going into life, trusting as he has shown mercy to us time and time again, we show mercy to others. The third is ask for God's will. Ask for God's will. An ethical life is not built on isolated incidents of right and wrong, but continually seeking God's will in all of life. It's not like, okay, I'm just gonna do the right thing here and, and, and then maybe the this is the right thing here no you seek God you ask God okay God like help me to understand this help me to know more God's will is how we understand our lives and it shapes our view of right and wrong and so in difficult ethical situations you're going to be in them how do you know God's will first go to scripture look to scripture look to God's word here Seek out wisdom from others who are believers who love God. Say, well, what's your, what's your take on this? What's your view on this? But don't just leave it at that. Pray. Pray together. You see, we have these uh, city groups going right now, and, and the basis of every city group is prayer. Prayer, to pray with you, to pray for you. Whatever you're going through. Right? And so seek out a community of people that are praying because if there are people who are praying, there are people who are seeking God's will. A prayerless people are not people who are seeking God's will. We're just coming up with it as we go. But if we're praying, we're saying, God, we need you. We need you at the center of this. And so where do you see the need for the common good in our city right now? If I were to ask you, where do you see the need for the common good in our city right now? Where do you see the need for the common good in your own neighborhood? The people around you? Right, like what what are things that are going on right now that you can bring something to the table? And my challenge to you is ask for God's will in that situation. Ask for God to give you the strength and the ability to do the common good in that situation so that God is glorified through it, whether they believe in Christ or not. And the fourth is, believe Jesus is enough. Here's the deal. There will be times where you make the wrong call. You make a mistake. You get laid off. There will be those times. But as believers in Christ, we can come to him and know that he is enough. And here's the two things to remember. That Jesus' blood covers you. Right? You might have made a wrong call in a particular job situation in the past, and you say, well, there's no way that I could get over that. 
There's no way that I could do, be any different. I, I, I want to encourage you today that the blood of Jesus is enough for you. That his work for you on the cross is enough. And so we first need to look to him, look at what he's done for you and say, okay, God, you got me covered. That's the gospel. Others might hold it over your head, but he won't. You can rest in him. And the second thing we need to remember is that God is sovereign. He's ruler. He's, he's an authority. And so first off, as Christians, we answer to him. Right? And we, we don't say, well, okay, it doesn't really matter. But there's a God who demands of his people to work as he is working. And so there is a standard that he calls us to. And so you can get up and do better tomorrow because of the grace of God. You can work harder tomorrow through the power of God. And so there's a sovereign God who is ruler over all these things and who can cover your mistakes, who can help you through the mistakes, and who can get you to a different place than you are right now. God is able to do that, and God will do that. And every day when you wake up, you have to apply this to your heart again and again. Because there will be overwhelming amounts of guilt and shame that wants to rule your life. That wants to make you to think that you're that old person again. That will tempt you to go in a different direction than what you know is true and right and what God calls you to do. But you need to apply the blood of Jesus to that and say, God has got me covered and God is in control and I trust him. Because there are gonna be some scary decisions that you're gonna make, that you're gonna have to make and you're gonna have to seek him through it all. As we wrap up, there was a man named uh, William Wilberforce, born in 1759, died in 1833. And he fought for 20 years for the abolishment of the slave trade. 20 years. And the reason that he fought so hard was because he knew God. He knew God. And so we're talking about somebody who really uh, saw the dignity of all, who worked for the common good of all, we see it in this man, William Wilberforce. He fought for 20 years for that. He says um, this. He says, surely the principles of Christianity lead to action as well as meditation. Christianity, it leads to action. When you know, he, uh, another uh, quote that he says is that, he's like, if you know something, to be wrong in the world. You can never say that you didn't know. Right, like there are things that are in this world right now, again, that are happening, that call for the common good of, of Christians who are equipped with the gospel to go out. And he felt that. What is it for you? What is it for me? Like, what is it in, in our particular area? Because maybe what it is is just going in every morning on time, clocking in, doing our work in a way that would honor God. Say, God, this is your will for me. Make a difference where you can. Do as much good as you can and go home and maybe you're never noticed for that job. But what we find is that Jesus says, when you come to me, I'm the one who says, well done, good and faithful servant. I'm the one who tells you, you've done a good job. See, sometimes we just fight so much and we say, well, I just want my boss to tell me that I did a good job today. I want that coworker to see all the things that I've done for him. He doesn't appreciate what I've done for him. 
There's a God who, who looks at us and says, well done. And here's the gospel. He's covered all our, all, our all our mistakes, all our mistakes. See, it's the perfectly ethical life of Jesus and the sacrificial death of Jesus that covers us. When it comes to the Pharisees, the law, they couldn't keep it all. They tried to. They acted like they did. They tried to act like they were ethically pure, Eth but, but they weren't. Jesus kept it perfectly. He paid the penalty for our sin. And that's why it says in Romans 10, 4, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Come to him. Believe on Christ. Believe on what he's done for you. And know that his blood covers all our shame. And you can walk tomorrow into work equipped with the good news that you can be different that he can live a different life because of Christ. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the work you've done for us. I thank you, Jesus, that you have paid the penalty for us, for our sins. And God, you loved um, us as we are that lame man. We are, th there are moments where we, we've done the same thing. We've run and we haven't been thankful for what you did for us. Not one time do we see in this text the man turned to you and say, thank you. And so we come to you now and say, thank you, God. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for paying the penalty for us. Thank you for loving us through it all. Help us to live a life with ethics, your ethics, God-centered ethics in everything we do. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.